Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast, brought to you by Blue Box Partners, the only show dedicated to small business residential surveyors and valuers, created by surveyors for surveyors. In every episode, you'll learn something new about the vibrant and thriving industry of residential surveying. We don't mind what flavor of surveyor you are or what level of experience you might have. If you're in the business of helping people with their homes, this is the community for you. Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast. I'm Marian Ellis. And today I'm talking to Tim Jones, one of our trainers at Blue Box. Amongst other things, he's a chartered building surveyor, trainer, assessor. I'll let him tell you about his career. It's quite a varied one. So good morning, Tim. This is a nice early one again for us today, or for me anyway. I appreciate you um, getting up early and uh, and joining me. That's no problem at all. So tell me a little bit about how did you get into surveying? And I bet you anything it's going to start with, I fell into it. Hmm. Um, it was uh, an accident. I spent uh, a number of years uh, selling life insurance and uh, I went through a particularly bad patch and got made redundant or sacked, as the case might be, depending on who's, which side you look at it from. And I went on the dole and ended up taking a temporary job looking for HMOs in Birmingham, working for Birmingham Council. And it was in a little office that uh, specialised in grants for refurbishing HMOs. So after about four or five months, I think, doing knocking on thousands of doors, I managed to get a job there and they put me through a building surveying degree and then five years later I got my degree and uh, wended my way around Birmingham City Council uh, until I got to a fairly senior position and then uh, a job opportunity came in Coventry. I was called a project champion in Coventry which was quite a grand uh, a grand sounding title basically it was it was head of regeneration for out of city centre area. So it's mainly the, the deprived housing estates. Um, I did a lot of work in leisure as well. So I was building leisure centres and, and such like. Also there, rather an interesting or a rather bizarre area. I was he- I was on playboard. Got some government money for putting new playgrounds in around Coventry. So I was a, a playboard director, uh, which was quite fun. At Coventry, I was also, uh, one day my boss walked in and said, you'll you'll building one of these district heating schemes, aren't you? I said, yeah. He said, the head of climate change has just left. Um, you've now got the key. So, do I get any more money? No. But I was, now, I was then head of climate change for uh, City Council. I'd always hankered about starting my own business or being working in the private sector. I did stay in the public sector for a long time, primarily because we had uh, two daughters being put through private education. So I was sort of de-risking my career. And then when the cuts started to appear in, 2011, Coventry went through voluntary redundancies and I got one. And that gave me enough cash to survive for probably about 18 months to best part of two years setting up my own business. Uh, the original idea was to become a management consultant. So I've done a lot of the senior management stuff. But after about probably about 18 months, I actually went, well, what do I really enjoy doing? It was being nosy around people's houses, just wandering around doing building surveys and such like. So in in 2013, I diversified into into building surveying. During this sort of same time period, I started doing a lot of work with the RICS, both in terms of training people who want to become chartered surveyors, 
through their APC training programs and doing a lot of contract and project management training. I'd run quite a number of project management offices over time, but uh, it's sort of another string to the building today, I suppose you, you could say. So started really doing a lot of building surveys in 20, end of 2013, 2014, and now we've been in business for, well, it's just slightly over nine years now. In fact, it is actually, within two or three days, it is nine years because I left Public City Council sometime mid-May in 2011. So, yeah, dead on nine years. I've diversified a little bit over time because I do now do a lot of training with a number of companies and organisations. So recently just joined Blue Box, became a, a SAVA assessor earlier on this year. So I'm doing a lot of assessing both the RICS and SAVA a lot of training work all online at the moment, which is uh, interesting to say the least. And I'm continuing my work with RICS as well. So I, do, I still do a lot of training courses uh, for the RICS, but uh, diversified out to other organisations like Arcadis, and a number of smaller building surveying, quantity surveying practices. And I do pick up by word of mouth a number of people who want to be coached, become Arthur or asset, asset rich surveyors through a number of pathways. We even coached a couple of rural surveyors as well, believe it or not. I haven't got a clue what they're talking about. I know how to eat a pig and a cow and that sort of stuff, but I don't know what, how you keep, how you deal with them. Uh, <laughs> see them in field occasionally, and that's about it. So, okay. yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So that's really, it's a really interesting and varied career. It's actually quite a long career, and in that time, I finished my cup of tea. <laughs> you know uh, it's it's really I always find it interesting people's careers and how they end up where they are and you've gone from being on the dole which actually must have been really hard hard times to be it was Fiona was pregnant got no money coming in or very little but yeah Birmingham Birmingham City Council rescued me dragged me off the streets and I don't think I've ever met anybody who's um, built leisure centres and been on a playboard I know I'm uh, I'm quite unusual, I think, in terms of the what I've got involved in. I think the what I've found over the years, you develop a resilience. And I've found that I've been dropped into roles or I've, I've gone for jobs and ended up uh, taking on roles that are a little bit outside my comfort zone. And you soon learn to, uh, to, to deal with them. I think that's one of the reasons why I do a lot of project management training, because a good quality project manager is a person that can use those skills and adapt them for any type of project. And I think the reason I'm a good project manager, or hope I'm a good project manager, is that I had a really good background in building surveying training. As you know yourself, being a building surveyor, you've got to know a lot about a lot. And that early grounding for me really laid some very firm foundations uh, that I've been able to build on over over time. And I think that kind of thing doesn't just affect the way your career pans out. It sounds like it's actually helped you in terms of resilience to just Not dealing what, with whatever life throws at you. Yeah, within reason. Not that uh, you've got a project management sheet for, you know, what's happening in your life and <laughs> the ups and downs. Yeah. You know, but, it, but it would just help you. I, I think sometimes we, I often talk about work-life integration rather than work-life balance and I mm. think some of the skills we have at work we can bring into our life and, uh, and just never be afraid to bring our lives into into our work but it sounds like actually the being flexible and being adaptable and prepared for change that can actually help you in your life when when actually things happen people lose their jobs yeah things happen you get promoted you know 
I did an MBA while I was at Birmingham as well. And uh, one of the oh, you're just collecting stuff now. I'm writing these uh, these things down. <laughs> yeah, and the saying it is that one of the lecturers there, he, and it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. Was that he? Um, we're, I can't remember what the the context was. Some form of ma- it was obviously some form of management training. But he said we were talking about change management in one of the lectures, and he said uh, you should embrace change. Sometimes bad things happen, but most of the time, change can be very beneficial for for you and other 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 people. So, uh, and he told the story about how he was made redundant, and he was really upset at the time. But then he managed to get another job, and he actually found that process was uh, was really useful for him. So, I think since that time, and that would have been around about ninety seven ish, nineteen ninety seven. So for about 23 years, I've been having that in the back of my mind that if change happens or when you move into different jobs and so on and so forth, or you decide on a career change, generally speaking, it, it will turn out very positive. Occasionally, you break eggs, but, you know, that's life. And and I think when we set up the business at the start, first 18 months, two years, hardly made any money. But then all of a sudden, it just shut off and uh, it's continuing to do so, which is good. And in setting up by yourself, was that just you or was that you and a partner? Well, initially it was just myself. myself. At the time, the local Chamber of Commerce in Coventry were doing free business setup sessions. So I went off and did a number of uh, mini training courses with Chamber of Commerce. And that sort of taught me the basics. Because I'd been I'd actually developed a consultancy in, in Coventry, prior to setting up my, my own. And majority of the project management offices that I'd been involved in within the local government uh, were actually fee-earning, internal fee-earning. And a number of them, we had to earn a fee to exist because there was no budget for us. And when I was given the job of head of climate change, probably there was a, an environmental management consultancy uh, within that mini department or that division, uh, which was loss-making. And I turned that business around in 12 months to make it break even after after my 12 months in charge. And that was sort of the, gave me, I suppose, a bit of the confidence that I could, I can actually run my own business. I've been used to, you know, generating fees and all that sort of thing, but earning a a loss making consultancy round, albeit in the public sector and protected by the, you know, the local authority tribe, as it were, gave me a lot of confidence. And so when I set up the business, I won't say it was easy, but uh, I found it really easy to adjust to a new setting. A bit frightening, but quite uh, quite exciting. And then uh, Fiona, my wife, uh, became a partner about two years in, three years in, something like that. And she's now she took voluntary redundancy from Birmingham City Council just over two years ago, and now I suppose you could say finance director and keeps me in check. I have to do as I'm told now. Well, you know, behind uh, behind every good man, there's a a woman sorting him out, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting. I like the fact that you've effectively said, you know, turning a crisis into an opportunity. Yep. And as hard as that is, sometimes you've really got to pull on your strength and knowledge, and just that you've got the know that you've got the ability to do it. And and mm. once you start to think wider, then that's when opportunities. You're open to the opportunities that then uh, that then come, and obviously you've you've had a really good with the variety of your career. That's that does give you resilience, and it does mean that when you start in business, that's going to help you sort of move forward. 
I guess I hear a lot of surveyors starting up in business when they've not got a lot of business experience. And I suppose that's when they, they start to get quite overwhelmed. They think more about, actually, I don't want to work for a corporate or anybody else. That's why I want to work for myself. Sometimes their motivations for it perhaps don't make sense. And for some people, you might look at being an SME and think, oh, I wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, you've got to, I think you've got, to have the, um, you've got to be motivated to do it for the right reasons. Uh, I think one of the biggest problems that you have as, a, as an SME, a startup, is getting used to the no's. You get a lot more no's than you get yeses, i.e. in terms of people wanting you to do work. And it, it can be very difficult to, uh, at the start. Um, my early sales training taught me uh, about statistics and how you can use statistics in a very positive way. So how you close deals and, and such like, you know, a life assurance salesperson or a car salesperson or anybody selling, they won't sell to everybody that walks through the door. They will sell to one in four, one in five, one in 10. And, you know, so if you accept the fact that you've had nine no's, that the yes is going to be just around the corner. And that helped me out again mentally from a mental point of view. When I set up the business, I was confident that the yeses would start appearing and my ability to close deals, i.e. commissions for doing project management work, for doing building surveys, for doing management consultancy, coaching candidates would improve over time. And, and it, it, it has done. And, you know, I think uh, understanding that is really important. It can be and cause a lot of stress. Nodes can cause stress. Yeah. And for a lot of us, we're not natural salespeople. I think you are. You're very good at uh, keeping your mouth shut and listening. You reckon? (laughs) Have you listened to these podcasts? All I do is interrupt people and ask tough questions. (laughs) Uh, People are very good at keeping silent and listening and then only interrupting when the person talking is drifting away into the ether or pontificating about things that are not relevant. Do you know what? I'm sat here with my arms crossed. And I've, that's my uh, my interview position. My arms crossed so that I don't interrupt because I'm so interested in what <laughs> what people are saying. So my interview technique is to sit here with my arms crossed and just wait until somebody finishes a sentence. I'm learning how, how how to do all of this, just like just like surveyors learn to sell surveys. You know, we're all on a on a learning journey, mm-hmm. and I think it's important to look back and reflect how far you've come. And you must look back at your career and think, crikey, how did I get to where I am today in a good way? Or have you never done that? Yeah, it's um, it's nice to to think about the the impact I've had on uh, on communities, on um, people's lives. Um, you know, being a surveyor is uh, a lot of the work I did was worked on a lot of listed buildings in Birmingham, and you know, uh, because they were in the museum department, you know, that's Help the cultural scene in in Birmingham, so a lot of people can access those buildings and see, you know, nicely renovated uh, listed buildings and see museum collections. And I had a little bit, little bit, uh, a part of that too. You know, I helped out. It's nice looking back on things like that. I, I run demolition programs for a while as well, and I used to drive around Birmingham saying, "See that hole there? I did that." <laughs> but, uh, even, even things as as uh, banal as uh, as demolition, you can get some uh, satisfaction. <laughs> yeah. uh, and now I drive around Birmingham and and, and and look at those same sites and go, ah, yeah. If it wasn't for me, that building wouldn't be there. 
So I was writing at the start of the process. It's, uh, so it's actually quite nice to go to the opening of a leisure centre or a new new housing estate and things like that. But um, but each uh, each part of the process is is important. And, and as a surveyor, going in and doing a building survey or evaluation survey is enabling something to be achieved. It may well be, oh, I'm not going to touch that house with the barge pole, or or it may be, I actually now understand what I'm getting into. Uh, in terms of the value of the property or in terms of the condition, I know that. And I can now go in there and, and prioritise those repairs. And I do get repeat business as well. From, so it's quite nice that people have, you know, affected my views in terms of reports previously. And I've said, yeah, come along to go and do another one for me, please. You've talked about the variety in your career so far, which has been really interesting. You've now got your own consultancy. It sounds like you do quite a variety of work in that. A lot of surveyors tend to worry about diversifying and some of the complications with that. How do you keep on track of all the different types of work that you do, the regulation, the risk? Well, I I deliberately set out to have a diverse portfolio. I recognised early on if you are just reliant on one particular client for work, that client decides they're going to fall out with you or decide that somebody else can do the job better. And it's, it's all about risk management. So if you're over-reliant on one client and they decide for whatever reason, good or bad, to depart uh, company, then if 95% of your work is with them, then that leaves you in a with a problem. So I tend to try to have a whole range of different clients. So, for example, I sort of split my my training work into... I have two or three major clients and then a number of uh, probably what you call smaller ones where I would provide a bit of advice, guidance, training every four or five months or something like that. And then we've got the building surveying side of things, which uh, takes about, I suppose you could say about a quarter of my time. So I go out and do building surveys, maybe one day a week, something like that. But I also do work for uh, SDL doing valuation surveys and again I see that as another method of, of diversifying because I'm involved in the training side of things I do have to do a lot of research anyway to be able to impart knowledge to people who want, want to be trained so I keep on top of things by probably doing more CPD than the average surveyor but it's part of the job you know I see that as part of the job That's why I also do a fair number of APC interviews for the RICS so I do probably six, seven days worth a year, whereas most APC assessors will probably only do one, maybe two. And again, I see that as part of the, the process of keeping up to speed with what's going on in the industry, keeping up to speed. And I, find, I actually find the assessment process, uh, both for SAR and for the RICS, it's a learning curve for me. As I'm reading or listening to people, reading their documents, the stuff I pick up. Yeah, when I was uh, an assessor, on a panel a number, of, a number of years ago. I haven't done it recently, but you do have to keep up with what's going on. And you're right, when you look at someone else's submissions and work, you do learn not just about them, but you do learn things about their their job and their, their work. And it's also a sort of form of reverse mentoring almost, mm. you know, that you can learn from your students or, or candidates as much as they can learn from you when you're in that situation. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how is it, might sound a bit personal, but how is it working with your wife? Many surveyors I've come across, maybe not sort of not so much now, but I remember when I was sort of starting out, there was a lot of husband and wife teams. 
yeah. that got together because they started to work together. Whereas your wife has now come into your your business. Working with their, their partner doesn't always work for everybody. How do you how do you jiggle that? It's in, interesting. Fiona was a um, uh, she was the head of a children's centre, nursery nurse by background, and I was finding prior to uh, Fiona getting coming on board that the pure admin bureaucracy of, of running the business was actually stopping me generating quite a lot more income. I was spending a lot of time doing the admin stuff, doing the chasing, doing the, uh, and so on and so forth. So Fiona, with a, a little bit of training from me, slotted into that role. So she now, that's why I sort of call her the, uh, finance director. We're a partnership, but it, she leads on on making sure all the finances are in place, that we pay tax on time, has the chats with the accountant, chases clients for money. But also she's leading on the sales and marketing side of things for, for getting building surveys in. Anna's has developed quite a good pattern on the phone to persuade people to have a building survey or evaluation survey. So we sort of work quite well together. I go off and do all the fun stuff and Fiona, unfortunately, sits, uh, sits in the background just, just there. So it's a bit like a jigsaw, really. The pieces seem to fit fit together quite well. And she knows a lot more about building surveying now than she did previously. And we both do. We both now, when we go, you can't stop doing building surveys, can you? She starts looking at buildings as well uh, when we go around them, much the same way as I do. You know, there's a lot of people out there, I think, who could be surveyors. They know that much about property, about the way that we work, but they're not qualified as such have not gone through the appropriate routes but I've met many people when I used to run complaints teams you know there are a lot of people in there who because of their experience of having to deal with a complaint and to understand the defect or the valuation challenge they're actually they're really really experienced and we shouldn't sort of write some of those those people off you know um you mentioned uh, you've talked a lot about your sort of local area and your sort of chamber of commerce. One of the things I see with with a lot of surveyors is they don't always integrate themselves in their local communities for business, or they like to work out of area so that you know customers don't find them. But any any advice for for SMEs on getting involved because clearly that's that's helped you with your your career in one just getting some support and, and training if it's if it's out there but also sort of getting to know people i think it helped me in in my role as a senior manager in local government i'd got the a, a fairly significant network there of a lot of bodies a lot of people who i had to get involved with to deliver regeneration schemes so i didn't just deal with the physical regeneration it was i had because i i had to take responsibility for consultation for getting involved in local communities so from my perspective it was I suppose you could say I've got a natural network there to feed into however I do know a lot of organizations a lot of companies do start off by getting involved with Chamber of Commerce and, and other support organizations to help them out I did um, for a while I did some voluntary work um, I'm trying to think of the name of the organisation now. There was some government funding that um, a voluntary sector used to provide voluntary support for people who on startups. So I went into, you know, people who'd been made redundant or just started with their business and just gave them advice about starting up and so forth. So always look for government grants and, and support organisations in your local area. That I know the funding's, funding does go in and out, but... Uh, 
it's always there if you talk to your local economic development department in the local authority or county they'll be able to point you in in the right direction in terms of support mentoring schemes and so on and so forth uh, again i found that when i was doing that i was learning also about how to set up a business by actually mentoring somebody who was setting up their own business so uh, i did learn quite a bit about that as well i also got involved in the local charitable sector as well again that helped out from a networking point of view but i became trustee and chair of a couple of organizations and running a, a charitable organization is the same as running a business if you run it badly then it, it it stops functioning and two of the organizations i joined were were in that sort of uh, situation and, and again i encourage both to diversify so the one organization was over reliant on on local authority grants and i got them to diversify so that when the local government grants started decreasing they actually survived because they could bring in they had other sources of income that they were were helping for them well and uh, that sort of gave them a resilience so yeah try and diversify if you can if it's a, a surveying practice then getting involved with the local solicitors estate agency is quite useful i get dribs and drabs of work coming in from my local estate agents I do work outside of my immediate area apart from with the uh, with the local estate agents and solicitors primarily because that's where the work is so building surveys up quite a broad area and basically the midlands is is my area because i know the midlands quite well whereas my valuation practice is very much centered on on hinkley and leicester so again i've worked in that area quite a lot i'm not a million miles away from hinkley leicester leicestershire uh, in fact I'm probably a mile away from the, from the border in warwickshire but it's not my local area it's sort of <laughs> it's them down the road sort of thing but that's that's quite useful as well. Yeah. You mentioned a, a job that you had head of climate change. Yeah. What are your thoughts at the moment on things like the RICS's Value the Planet campaign, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, what we as surveyors can do to be more climate friendly? That's even a term. I think the it comes down to you know from a legislation point of view. The legislation is dictating what we have to do. So, part of the building regs, except for example, recycling, uh, waste management, smart meters. They're all, all of that sort of stuff that's happening is legislation. Over what I've noticed over the probably about the past 10, 15 years is that there is now a, a buy-in from the business community and the voluntary sector and the public sector as well in being green it's seen as something that you need to do. And I think that's what's happening with the RICS. They've picked up on this over the, over the years and are trying to enable the surveying profession and the, the wider public to become greener in one way, shape or form. So it's a, a double hit, I suppose. Legislation is forcing us to do things in a, in a different way. EPC is a good example, as, again. But also there's this growing trend for people wanting to be green from a corporate sense, from a personal sense. Uh, my daughter is a real, you know, heavy green flag waver, uh, which is great. And that, that I think, is, um, it, it is again, the, the younger generations are becoming more astute in understanding the effects of climate change and trying to do something about it. So I think we've, as surveyors, we've got to respond to that. I think we do need to understand how buildings work 
and um, can promote sustainable actions within buildings and in developments and so forth. So I think it's part of our role. It's, uh, you know, we deal with buildings, um, buildings function in different ways in terms of, you know, the, the need for people to become green, greener. Uh, I think there's a part for us to play. play. I think there's a couple of things there for me. Firstly, we talk about needing to follow the rules and needing to be green. And I often think about our motivation. You know, when we need to do something, it tends to be an away from motivation. It makes it harder for us to to do. Whereas a towards motivation is I want to be green rather than I need to be green. I want to make a difference. And I often see that actually not just surveyors, but a lot of people, particularly sort of work, those who work in bigger organisations and institutions, that we have a lot of rules. And when there are a lot of rules, they become sort of cages that sort of stop us from being the best that we can be. And I'm all about setting people up for success. But I think there's a, a there's something there for me in terms of how we approach the whole climate change issue. And for me, it's, it's about, I, I view it rather than saving the earth and being green and turn into a hippie. I, th- I think of it more in, in terms of social impact. Mm. And when I look at properties, I, and maybe it's just the way that I, the goggles I wear and the, the way I view the world, but I don't just see buildings as, you know, sort of functional static things, but actually they've got humans that live inside them and that changes the whole dynamic of everything. And it's that social impact where I think we can start to make a a difference and we've got to help people want to live a better life and to live in cleaner streets and more sustainable buildings and you're right with the younger generation they seem to understand that a bit more their their motivation is more towards whereas I think for a lot of us who are longer in the tooth our motivation is more I need to I have to it's an away from there's more rules for me to do this darn job another thing for me to read or to do and I guess one of the things with the surveyor hub and blue box and the work I do is really to help people understand that they can do that and making one difference one change has a has a knock-on effect that sort of ripple effect and you know no we're not a, we're not a big company where you know we do our own thing in our own way but even just talking about climate change and social impact and the sustainable development goals it, it is is in a different way helps people understand them a bit more and that they can make can make a difference i think you're right i think when people have been arguing with me or discussing with me about why i should incorporate some form of renewable technology or install insulation and uh, you know something fairly basic like that the, the bottom line for individuals is well if you do this it might cost you a bit of money now but it's going to save you a hell of a lot more money over time there will be benefits for you, which you can then use that money for for other other purposes. A lot of people, it's just the kudos. I, you know, I you know, I've, um, I pick up on people who want building surveys done or valuation surveys, and and they ask specifically ask, what can I do to the house to make it greener? Uh, which is my, part of my role. It's what you wouldn't normally do in a building survey, but I will pull in a couple of more paragraphs about where you could you can do. I always talk about levels of insulation anyway, because there's a big correlation between insulation and dampness in buildings so i'm always talking about that in a building survey but there are other things that you can do which are not necessarily overly expensive like change your light bulbs to led uh, for example 
you know, in theory, you can instead of letting all your rainwater go down the drain, stick a, a water butt in, and uh, you know that's that's another method of being green. You're not relying then on on hosing the lawn down or the your, your cabbages or whatever. Uh, I think you're right. A lot of it, a lot of these things are quite simple, and people do anyway. They just don't realise that they're being green by having a water butt. You know, it's it's not, you know, there are obviously different scales uh, and ranges, but it's just a start. And once you start to think about how your building can be more sustainable, more energy efficient, you know, it, it then sort of follows that they're a bit more curious about the next thing that they can that they can do to, to make a difference. It is mm. just getting them to start to think about it. And that's where I think surveyors are so crucial to that because most people will spend money when they're doing a building project or when they're doing uh, you know they've just bought a property and they've you know so they've got some some work to do that's the most likely time that they will make I guess considered uh, you know um, considered thought to integrating something that's that's more green energy efficient mm. would do that badly but you know what I mean that they're a lot more likely to do that at that time and and so for us as surveyors we can really have an input and help them make a difference at the right time I think you know, role within a project. Surveyor, yeah. I think our role as surveyors is um, it, it's um, the world of surveying is very technical and lay people don't necessarily understand the, the complexity. Our role as a surveyor is to interpret that technical information to make it clearer to somebody that just wants to have a house to live in and it's going to be green. And it can be quite frightening when you talk to people about problems with a house defect and installing new new bits of kit, um, if you can explain it in, well, what my, my one of my favourite acronyms is KIT, keep it simple, stupid. If you can explain it in terms of KIT, then there's a good chance that the person on the receiving end will be able to understand it. And, and I guess I'm, I'm also... All, all my project management uh, uh, lectures now, you get some free CPD off me. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you're right. And... But also, I think if we as surveyors present the information in a positive way and show what is possible, it sort of helps maintain that excitement about a property and a purchase. And it's not just a list of, oh, crikey, these are all the things that are wrong with it and that I'm going to need to do with it. When actually, we, if we explore the potential of what's possible, that's actually mm. really exciting. And when people are, are feeling positive and engaged, they're more likely to be receptive to to different ideas i think as surveyors we play a really crucial part in the built environment and and helping change happen mm. i was talking to somebody a couple of years ago when the home service survey standards discussions were starting and i remember saying to them that you know actually some of the information that i've seen they haven't really been talking about energy efficiency, climate change, etc. And I didn't know whether to raise it or not. And my friend said to me, so hang on a minute, you're in a position potentially to change something that could affect all the properties in the UK and make a difference to the climate change, the world, people, and you're hesitating about it. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, clearly... You know, it's not just me making one change. Other other people will be doing something about it. But she really sort of reframed it for me that, you know, if we're in a position to make a difference, why on earth wouldn't we? Mm. Why on earth wouldn't we? And I think if we start to have more of that mindset of why wouldn't we help somebody make the best out of their property? Why wouldn't we help them with a more sustainable way of living? 
preaching to the converted yeah yeah and yet there's a, there's a lot of people out there who who don't and i think perhaps sometimes it's it's not that they don't want to, but there isn't a framework to guide them through it. And that's what I like about the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And for, for Blue Box, what we've done, we've sort of pivoted our business. Everyone's talking about pivoting at the moment, their business, because, you know, the, the crisis and the virus and all of that. But about a year and a half, two years ago, we decided, OK, so we we deliver training for all the institutions and Spain schools and things like that out there. Uh, but actually what's really important to us is how people think, how they feel the important parts of delivering CPD wasn't just the technical content. It was in the break when someone would come over and ask, can I just ask, can you help me with? And we really wanted to help and give back to surveyors and share our knowledge and experience and we've decided out of the 17 sustainable development goals that there's three that we really want to concentrate on. They are well, mental health and well-being, because we mm-hmm. all know how stressful the job can be. And we've all been through through life experience. There's quality education, because we believe if you've got a good education, you know, it can put you on the path to where you where you need to be. Uh, and gender equality. And, you know, everyone knows about my women in surveying bag and doing more about that. But those things just, once you start to, to get involved, now those, they aren't, that isn't climate change, clearly. But when you start to look at social impact and look at the diversity of the way that we work, it then has a knock-on effect to things like, you know, if we care more about people, naturally we're going to care more about the world that we live in and there's that sort of ripple ripple effect and I think if we look after the people people will will do the best they can be and 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 set themselves up for success and all of those things that that we talk about and that in turn makes a difference to the society that we live in and that includes things like climate change sustainability and all those technical green things that we yeah I think yeah I mean uh, I I think you've got to have an open-minded approach as well and soon once you start closing your mind anything then i think that's detrimental and that's where you get you know a lot of the stress that um, that appears and uh, einstein had a very good in, uh, expression um uh, if you keep on doing the same thing in different results you'll go mad and that's the same with all, all walks of life and you know if you've got an open mind you're willing to change what you should be um and change your approach change how you deal with people help them to change you'd be interested to know as well as you you are a, uh, a woman in construction or playing flag wear era fairly early on in my career i i we got some positive action funding i was responsible for training female uh trainee building surveyors oh i knew i liked you i knew <laughs> i liked you tim <laughs> which is brilliant actually there were people in the on a sandwich the break year on a sandwich building training sandwich degree and uh, I think I was, one was a double whammy. She was the, the third one. I, I was responsible. She was deaf as well, so disabled people. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of work in terms of disabled work, disabled people, you know, grants for disabled people and stuff like that as well. So uh, it, was, it was quite satisfying enabling a, uh, a woman into the surveying profession, which was hard enough as it anyway, but also this uh, this woman who was uh, profoundly deaf as well, which uh, was, uh, was brilliant. Yeah, it's nice to see. And occasionally I do hear hear from her not literally obviously well i do actually um uh, and she's still doing really well in the business uh so it's nice to see some of these ex-pupils ex-trainees developing and their you, own careers 
And do you know what I like about that, Tim, is that we've been talking for half an hour or so, and that's the first time I've seen you really smile and enjoy <laughs> parts of your career. And it's so rewarding, isn't it, when you do something that makes a difference for people? Yeah, yeah, I'm proud of all, lots of stuff that I've done, and uh, but I got into training because I enjoy the, the outputs, and it, it generates a nice income stream for me as well, which is in you know. So that's a oh, it's again, the money that makes you happy then. It, it's a double <laughs> double whammy, you know. It's not I like getting getting the uh, email saying thanks for that portal. I've got my letters now, or I'm you know I'm now chartered. That's uh, uh, and to be paid for it as well is even better. So yeah, good. It's, good. Job satisfaction does make such a difference, doesn't it? When you you know you you're making not just we talk about sort of making a difference, but you know that you've you you you've made a difference mm. that you that you've helped somebody that the the careers that they will go on to have and decisions that they will make, you know, and you've played a part in that. It is it is absolutely rewarding. Tim, it's been lovely to speak to you this morning. Likewise, very much. Thank you very much for joining me. You've been listening to the Surveyor Hub podcast. We'd love it if you leave a review and let us know how we're doing. And if you want to find out more about how we're making a difference, visit us at blueboxpartners.com.